All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. This is the third and final week of a series thinking through one of the most important statements we have from Jesus in Scripture. We've already, uh, we've already given two weeks to thinking about this passage, and, and today we'll wrap it up. And next Sunday, I've kind of been telling you this a little bit as we go along, next Sunday we'll begin the study that will carry us through the rest of this school year, uh, both fall and spring. We're going to study through the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews. And uh, so, it, I, like I said last week, it wouldn't hurt you to go ahead and read through Hebrews in your own time. Just familiarize yourself with the, the, with the territory. Um, if you haven't done that and you want to do that this week, there's 13 chapters. You could, uh, you could uh, hopefully you're doing the new, reading through the New Testament with us, the New Testament challenge, reading a chapter each day, but you could read your chapter of the New Testament and then somewhere else throughout the day, read two chapters of, of Hebrews uh, each day and, uh, and you'll make your way all the way through it. And I, th- I think if you... Go ahead and start thinking about it for yourself. You'll benefit a lot more when you come here on Sunday mornings. But today we're going to finish thinking through our short series on following Christ from Jesus' words in Luke 9, 23. So if you found that place in your Bible, let's, uh, let's, let's read that again before we begin. And like last week, we'll begin in verse 18 and read through verse 25 uh, just for some context. <clears throat> Now it happened, verse 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old is risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And this is not on the screen, but go ahead and look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this, your word. As we confess every Sunday, we confess our, our trust and belief and faith that this is your holy and inspired and inerrant, um, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. It is truth without mixture of error. And uh, it is our desire to um, bow our minds and our hearts and our wills to, in submission to it. And we can't do that in our own strength, so we need your help to do that. So please, Lord, give us eyes to see the truth 
and to see you in these pages and give us ears to hear the truth when it's spoken and give us minds to understand the truth give us hearts to embrace and love the truth give us wills to obey it we pray it in jesus name amen well like i said we we've already been looking at this passage and particularly verse 23 for a couple of weeks Uh, And we've sort of been picking it apart phrase by phrase each week. So a couple of weeks ago, we thought about the opening words of that verse, if anyone would come after me. We spent a week there, and then last week we moved ahead and let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. We camped out there for just a little bit. And this week we're going to wrap it up by thinking about those final words, follow me and follow me. I'll I'll go ahead and admit, as I was thinking about this series, and by the time that I got to these final words in the verse, I felt like, wow, we've already pretty much cleaned the bone <laughs> of this, of this uh, passage pretty good over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I'm sitting go, what else is there left to say? We, uh, it's just one verse, and here we are on the third week of it, and we've talked about who, who, uh, who Jesus is, who says, if anyone would come after me, We've talked about what it means to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily. And all that is part and parcel of following Him. And now we come to these last words and follow me. And I think, what, le- what, is it, what else is left to say? Well, there's probably a lot. But there is an angle on this that I want to think about a little more. And it's one that, we've, that I've hinted at the last couple of weeks, especially last week. But it bears thinking more about it. Last week, for example, when we were talking about when Jesus said, take up your cross daily, and we focused on that word daily. And I talked about how we very often, especially those who have grown up in church and perhaps were saved at a young age, and I talked about how we tend to hyper-focus on the day we came to faith. Um, and, And what was going through our minds or what was... What was our state of mind on the day that we made our profession of faith? We hyper-focus on that particular day or that particular moment more than the daily walk. More than the daily walk. That, that, oddly enough, that Scripture constantly says is the evidence of the genuineness of our faith. I mean, Scripture constantly says that. If you have been reading through the New Testament with us. By the way, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's cards on your table that look like this that lay out the plan of the New Testament reading schedule that we're doing this school year. Read a chapter each day, and you'll finish by the end of the semester. But if you've been reading through that with us, and we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, I've tried to point out on the, on the daily podcast, if you have been listening to that, I've, I've tried to point this out. It's so repetitive. That, that, that our daily walk and our daily obedience is the evidence of the genuineness of our faith. Think, for example, if you've been reading what, what we've read in Matthew. So like you had in Matthew chapter 3, you had John the Baptist telling the, the leaders to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So you have repented of your sins. You've trusted Christ. Let's bear fruit that's in keeping with that. And so, or as Jesus would say, in John 15, so, and so proved to be my disciples. Or you have in chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, you had Jesus talking about 
practicing your righteousness and how to practice your righteousness. Practicing your righteousness before men, but not to get the praise of men, but to get the praise of God, to get the favor of God. So he, but, it's, but he assumes that you'll practice your righteousness. He doesn't say if you pray, if you give, if you fast, but when you pray, when you give, when you fast, when you do it, not if. Or in chapter 7 of Matthew, he talks about how you would recognize false teachers. How would you do it? By the fruit that they bear. And that not just true for teachers, but for everyone. And it has that sort of hard saying. We, I will come around and just say we, we always have to see all these things through the lens of the promise of the gospel. But he does say, nevertheless, Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Or in chapter 10 of Matthew, I'm not going to get ahead of where you should have been reading, just by the way. I'm not going to, you, you read it for yourself. But in chapter 10 of Matthew, and he call, he, he, he has, now he has his 12 disciples, and he sends them out on mission, but he tells them of the hardship that they're going to have while on that mission. But they will persevere. And then after that, he talks about the reward that they will receive in the end for their perseverance. Over and over and over and over again. Scripture does not, it just simply does not spend pages describing the first day of faith. It just doesn't do it. I mean, what does it focus on? It focuses on the life that follows that first day. I mean, sure, we have the account of Jesus calling His first disciples. And you have Jesus, for example, we were talking about Matthew, you have Jesus walking up to His tax booth and say, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he leaves and he follows Jesus. You have that account. But aside from him getting up from that tax booth and following him, and then on that same day throwing a big party at his house and inviting all his friends to come and meet Jesus, aside from that, there's not another word in Scripture mentioned about that, that, that first day. The rest of Scripture is about the life of Matthew that followed. Where the emphasis lies... In all the, the followers of Christ in Scripture, the emphasis lies on their daily life of following, on their struggles, on their joys, on their ups, on their downs, on their hardships. But ultimately, their perseverance to the end. That's where, that's where Scripture focuses, on their perseverance to the end. Yeah, there's a lot of pages talking about what happens on the first day of faith. It's by grace through faith. I mean, there's a lot that, that, that tells you what actually did happen in your heart on, the, on that first day that brought you to faith. Yes, it, it talks about that, but also pages upon pages upon God-given perseverance to the end. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And some people read that and they freak out because they don't trust themselves to persevere to the end. Well, if you're trusting yourself to persevere to the end, you should freak out. <laughs> you know? Because uh, that, right, that right there is exactly where the promises of Scripture are so sweet. That you have promises like Philippians 1.6. that says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You may not trust yourself to endure to the end, and you should not trust yourself to endure to the end. But you can trust God to preserve you to the end and to carry you on the path of perseverance to that point. 
But do you see, even there, the focus is on the journey of the believer from the first day to the last. It's on the perseverance of the believer. And that's what I want us to think a little bit more about this morning in those final words of Luke 9.23, to follow me. Sure, when Jesus said to the crowds on that day, follow me, he was inviting whomever in the crowds to follow him beginning that day, that first day. But the following that he was inviting him to was a lifetime of following him, a lifetime of walking with him. So I want to think about perseverance in that way, and I want to think about perseverance in a particular way. And it's this, perseverance in the Word. And I'll show you where I see that pointed to here. Perseverance in the Word. Perseverance with Jesus, yes. Perseverance in Christ. But perseverance in Christ through perseverance in the Word. I'll show you where I see that pointed to here and try to flesh it out a little bit. Each week that we have looked at this verse, we've been careful to look at the surrounding context. Like I said, I feel like we've picked the bone pretty clean uh, the first two weeks, but, but there's more to see here. We've looked at the surrounding context, um, and we've done that on purpose. And you should do that in your own personal Bible study. Whenever you want to focus on something like Luke 9.23, don't just look at Luke 9.23. Look at the surrounding context, because if you just pluck a single verse out of the Bible and look at it, and just look at these few words, if you look at it, Apart from the context, you can almost make it mean whatever you want it to mean. I mean, the, 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 corny, the corny joke I always heard growing up, my pastor always said it, about the, it's not true, but I'm, it's funny. The guy, the guy who wanted to know what God wanted him to do, so he just plopped his Bible open, and he read, Judas went and he hanged himself. He's like, oh my gosh, that can't be right. That can't be what God is telling me to do. So he just plopped it up again and said, go thou and do likewise. And, you know, so you can, you can, if you just look at isolated verses, you can totally take them out of context and make them mean whatever you want them to mean. So uh, we, for that reason, the first two weeks we've looked at that, we've looked all around this, this verse. The first week we looked at the, how the, the account of the transfiguration, verses 28 through 36 is related to these. We've looked at the parable of the sower back in chapter 8 and how it's related We've, that, that, that teaches us what Luke 9.23 means. So the same today. The context is important. Because, it, like for, for example, in the verses right after verse 23, verse 23 is, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In the three verses right after that, notice how that they, they all begin with the word for. Um, take up his cross daily and follow me. For. Verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake uh, will save it. Verse 25, for, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses a forfeit himself? Verse 26, for, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, etc. That little connector word for ties the logic of, of those verses that follow to verse 23. Uh, it's a fancy way of saying because. You're like, I, we, we don't talk like that. You know, I'm going to go to the water fountain for I am thirsty. We don't say that. Uh, but we know what it means. I'm, you know, because I'm thirsty. And so that's, that's the logic of verses 23, 24, 25, and 26. 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me because this, because this, and because of this. That's the logic here. And one of the reasons, the third of those reasons given in verse uh, 26, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. One of the things that Jesus calls us to, to, to persevere in as we follow him is to persevere in his words. How else do we meet Jesus in 2018 other than through his words? How else do we know Jesus in 2018 other than through his words? So to persevere in him by necessity is persevering in his word. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about um, how, do we, how do we address the importance of what Jesus is saying here about persevering in his words. And as I was thinking about this, I kept being drawn to several statements in John's gospel. Um, and I want to look a bit there um, to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is talking about perseverance here. And one of the things about perseverance, one of the necessary ingredients to persevering in Christ is persevering in his word. Several helpful things are said in John's gospel. So, for example, in John 6, John chapter 6 is a, is a, a great chapter. It's a long chapter, um, but uh, got some important things uh, to say. In John 6, near the end of that long chapter, where right after Jesus has some really hard sayings, he had some really hard sayings, uh, <laughs> you know, for example, if you have... John 6 opened, I mean, in verse 60, many of the disciples, and that doesn't mean the 12, it just means many of those who had had been following Jesus loosely up to that point, it actually said, they heard it, they heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And it actually says in that context that a lot of them quit following Jesus after that point. Jesus had some hard sayings, and it says in verse 66, Many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They heard the hard sayings and left him, left Jesus. I don't want anything to do with this. And they went. So Jesus turns to those who remained, his 12, and he basically says, Are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave or are you going to persevere? Are you going to turn back and leave like those who didn't persevere? Or are you going to be the ones who persevere? And Peter, at that point, speaks up in verses 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? So he's basically saying, we're sticking around. But why? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. Peter and the other the apostles, with the exception of Judas, who in time, because we know the rest of the story, would fall away, they persevered with Christ in that moment and because of His words. We recognize that you have the... They're hard to hear, but we recognize that they're words of eternal life. They persevered in the Word because they understood that the Word of Christ as... Paul would many years later tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15 was able to make you wise for salvation. 
So basically, when others left Jesus because of His words, they persevered with Jesus because of His words. But what did it look like in John's gospel to persevere? It gets interesting. Because if you just keep reading, a little later in John 8, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus had a little more to say. For example, in John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, by the way, let me just pause there. We don't have time to go in this today. But sometime today, <laughs> just read. I mean, he said, verse 31 begins that says that Jesus was talking to the Jews who had believed in him. You just read the rest of the chapter. Because Jesus, man, rakes them over the coals because he knows that, they're, that they don't really believe in him. And he makes them, basically by the end of the chapter, they want to stone him to death. <laughs> so they go from verse 31, believing in him, to wanting to stone him to death at the end of the chapter. Um, but 31 says, he said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's interesting. Because Jesus calls us not just to believe His Word. He does call us to believe His Word. In fact, that's what Peter said in that verse we just read. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of Christ and we have believed. We believe Your Word. They're hard to hear, but we believe. Well, now Jesus says, don't, don't merely believe, abide in it. Abide in my Word. What does that mean? Well, some translations, I think maybe the NIV says remain some translations say remain. Remain in my word. That, that, uh, that word means to, to live somewhere. Live there. Stay there. Dwell there. Abide there in his words. Practically, what, is, what does that look like? Well, it would include knowing it, knowing this word. And hearing it read and hearing it taught, what you're doing right now. Hearing it and doing it regularly. You hear Sunday morning, you come Wednesday night, you're in a missional community group. You're constantly putting yourself in a position to hear it and to hear it talked about and read out loud. You hear it read, you hear it taught, and then you're reading it yourself. You're studying it yourself and you're remembering it. You're meditating on it. You're abiding in it. Remaining, staying, dwelling, living in it. Think about those who perhaps were the first to hear Jesus saying these things. I, I don't assume that his first disciples were, but a lot of people that heard Jesus talk as he walked in the first century were uh, illiterate. Not only that, when Jesus first spoke these words, they weren't written down yet. I mean, John's gospel wasn't written down till over half a century after Jesus lived. So there's a lot of time where his words weren't even written down for us. There were, I mean, the earliest, the earliest uh, epistle of Paul was probably Galatians, and it was probably almost 20 years after the resurrection and ascension. So you had years where it wasn't written down yet. We didn't have His words written down for us. 
How, how then did it, were they totally without his word? No. Because in that culture where many, if not most, were illiterate, it was mainly an oral culture, um, they, 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 what, what they did, if it wasn't written down, they just constantly, that's what Acts, 2, Acts chapter 2 says, they met together daily. They met together daily to, to, to recount his words, talk about his words, remember his words. And, and especially during that time, it, it, being an oral culture, they were insanely good at memorizing. They were insanely, they could hear you say a story and just tell it back to you. Insanely good at memorizing. It's still that way in many places in the world today. They don't have, they're not, they, they, their whole life they've not been a, a written culture but an oral culture. They hear something, have an insanely good ability to tell it back to you or tell somebody else what had been said. That's, that is abiding in His Word in their, in their day. They heard what Jesus said. Because they already had an insanely good ability to do this, they could remember what He said. And they would go daily and talk to other people about it and talk about it and think about it and, 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 and even could memorize it. That, that is at least the beginning of abiding in His Word, meditating on it deeply and holding it in your mind. Holding it in your mind and believing it and able to call it to mind at any time. We know that's a big that we know that's a big part of what Jesus meant by abiding in his word, that is being in it so much that you hold it in your mind and hold it in your heart and you could call it to mind any time. We know that's what he meant, at least part of what he meant by that, because just a few chapters later, in John chapter 15, here's what Jesus here's the way Jesus says it there in John 15, 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and watch this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We can't talk about everything that it says there, but do notice that here, instead of Jesus talking about you abiding in his word, now Jesus is talking about his word abiding in you. If you abide in me and my words live in you, stay in you, remain in you, dwell in you, abide in you. That's the product of you abiding in the word of Christ as he's talking about it. That's the outcome. The more you abide in the word, the more the word becomes to abide in you. That's one of the goals of even challenging you to read through the New Testament this year, a chapter at a time, is that, that, that hopefully in doing that, you are building the, ha- the habit of daily being in the Word, that, but that would not only build in you the habit of abiding in the Word, but the Word would over time start abiding in you. And it's also why I talk so much about the importance of memorizing Scripture. I've already mentioned how in the first century they were especially good at this. But that is not an excuse for you to say, well, we're not an oral culture. Ah, come on now. We have every advantage, every advantage to memorize the word for ourselves. Because we, we do have the written down account of the word. And we can pick it up and read it and, and study it to memorize it anytime you want. If you haven't seen it, 
on the group me last night. If you're on the group me, if you're not, ask somebody to add you to the group me. On the group me last night, I posted uh, a PDF explaining the method that I have used and still use of memorizing scripture, especially long passages of scripture, even whole books. And I cannot commend that to you highly enough. I cannot emphasize it enough, the importance of memorizing Scripture. I mean, it's not just, it sort of is a mechanical thing, but it's not just a mechanical thing. It is without question the most effective way to hide God's Word in your heart. Committing it to memory and allowing the Word of Christ to abide in you, or as Paul says in Colossians 3.16, to let it dwell in you richly. And the Holy Spirit changes you through it. As you have the Holy Spirit's words, Christ's words, rolling around all day long in your mind and in your heart, because you'll have to do that to memorize it. You'll have to have it in your mind and call it to mind throughout the day, especially if it's a long passage of Scripture, especially if it's a whole book. You're going to have to be thinking about it all the time. That's the beauty of it, because as you think about it all the time, the Holy Spirit changes you through it. Changes you to have the mind of Christ, to think His thoughts, to see things as He does. So that, to finish this journey in John, the outcome that is realized in your life is wholeheartedly obeying the Word. Just a few verses later, Jesus talks about His words abiding in you. He says in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, the progression in John's gospel is persevering with Christ daily and persevering in his, his words is first seeing his words for what they are. You have the words of eternal life. And then abiding in His Word, and abiding in His Word so regularly that His words come to abide in you. And so that the more His words abide in you, you come to not only know His Word and believe His Word, but you come to keep His Word. That's the progression. And it's not just the progression in John. That's where I first, my mind first went because I was thinking about this progression of verses. But that's the progression all throughout the Scriptures. In, not just in John's Gospel, but the Old Testament too. Probably the most well-known of these, of course, is Psalm 119, verse 11, where the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That is the whole progression of John in one sentence. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you... I have stored up your word in my heart. Why store up his word rather than something else? Because his word has, are the words of eternal life. And how do you store them up? You abide in them. And they come to abide in you. Why? So that I might not sin against you. So that I keep your word. That's the whole progression in one sentence. Or think about Psalm 1. Go ahead and turn there. That's not on the, on the screen. Or you don't have to turn there. You could just listen. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's not that long. The very first psalm 
Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, who's the blessed man? The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. It's another way of saying he perseveres. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The one who meditates day and night on the word is the one who grows deep roots and perseveres and is blessed. But don't overlook the warning at the beginning of the psalm. The warning of the very first verse is that our minds will always be drawn to something. And our minds will always be dominated by something. It'll always be influenced by something. Our minds are malleable. They will be formed and shaped by something. And it will either be dominated and shaped and influenced by the word of Christ or whatever else we put into it. So Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And the picture it gives there is of a man, is the man who does not read and does not meditate on God's word day and night. That's the man who ends up being swayed in his thinking by the wicked, by sinners, by scoffers of what the word says. And notice the, for lack of a better term, the poetic downgrade. Hear it. The poetic downgrade of walking to standing to sitting. And it's presenting that man as, finally, as sitting. It's conveying the idea that his mind is made up and he's gladly choosing to stay in that rebellion. He walks in that way first and he stands there. Now he's sitting there. He's made up his mind. It reminds me of another well-known Old Testament story that I've mentioned to some of you before if you were here last year. It's the story of Abraham's nephew, Lot, in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 13, remember Abraham and Lot were about to go their separate ways, remember, about to split up. And Abraham tells Lot, you choose which way you want to go, and whatever way you choose, I'll, choose, I'll go the other way, Right? And uh, so Genesis 13 has Lot picking out which way he wants to go. And Genesis 13:10 says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. We'll stop right there. So just, it's funny that just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, the fruit was a delight to his eyes there. Lot looked up and he saw another garden. It was a delight to his eyes. So he went, he chose that place, what seemed to be the easiest path, the easiest path, the path to the easiest pleasure. 
The next time you meet Lot is in the next chapter, in chapter 14 of Genesis, and we're told in verse 12 the Lot, that Lot, the son of Abram's brother, was dwelling, dwelling in Sodom. And that word gives the impression that he had made his home there, you know, and had become comfortable there and was willing to stay there and live there. The point I'm trying to make is this. It will take discipline. It'll take discipline to get in, to stay in, to abide in the Word of Christ. Because apart from it, all kinds of things will lure us away from it. And when we, when we, when we neglect the Word, there are consequences to it, i.e., we are killing ourselves spiritually. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, to follow me. And, and part of following him, he says in verse 26, is not being ashamed of Christ, not being ashamed of his words. And those who aren't ashamed of his words are those who, as we've seen, see his words as the words of eternal life and who abide in his words so much that his words abide in them. Rather than be ashamed of his words, we gladly obey them and bear witness to them. Let me say one more thing about perseverance, and then we'll talk around our tables for a few minutes. You don't always feel like it. You don't always feel like it. You're feeling, the, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. You don't always feel like it. Don't measure your faith by your feelings, and certainly don't build your uh, or judge your perseverance around your feelings. The point is this. The key is to build habits and persevere in habits. Typically, over time, the, if you persevere in a habit, the feelings will follow the habit, not the other way around. You get that? It's not like you wait till you have the feeling to start the habit. Start the habit, even when you don't feel like it. And the feelings over time will follow. So start abiding in God's Word today. Jump into the New Testament reading plan today. Read that PDF that I put on the group me and start memorizing something tomorrow. Find some people to do it with you. Hold each other accountable. And all the while... Pray and ask the Lord to make you more like Christ so that you'll better deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this uh, sweet study in, in Luke chapter 9. And I pray that you would help us to follow Christ more closely than we ever have before and start building habits, habits of discipline that will equip us to follow you and our heart will, will follow behind it. So help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.